right, we've got one more song. As we sing this song, just think about the words. Singing about how we have a God who's with us, no matter what we may go through. He'll be with us. He'll be our shelter, our protector, our leader, no matter what we may encounter, no matter what we go through. We can always turn to Him. Oh, come behold the works of God, nations at His feet. He breaks the bow and bends the spear and tells the wars to cease. A mighty one of Israel, you are on our side. We walk by faith in God who burns the chariots with
Good morning. I hope everybody's doing all right. I don't need the table. <clears throat> if everybody's doing all right this morning, and I hope you've had a good Labor Day weekend. Have you had a good Labor Day weekend so far? Yeah? So far? How many of you are having hamburgers tomorrow? Tomorrow? Some people? How many of you have had hamburgers this weekend? Yeah, several people have. Um, how many of you haven't even planned any of your meals for the rest of the weekend? Okay, gotcha. Okay, good. Well, I've planned mine. Um, my wife and, and my son went to the beach um, and with her family, and so I stayed. So I, I have my meal planned. This afternoon, um, I'm having chicken tenders. Um, they've been soaking in buttermilk since yesterday. Come on, it's going to be good. And, and so what I do is I put smoked paprika and, you know, flour and garlic and um, crushed red pepper on it because I like a little, <clears throat> little put hair on your chest kind of kick to it, you know, uh, salt and pepper and just kind of do it all up. And then I, then I fry it in the frying pan and it's really good. It's really good, so my mouth is watering. This evening, it's probably going to be a hamburger, but, yeah, they'll be back tomorrow, but nonetheless, there you go. So, if you know, I've got 10 of them, 11 of them. If, um, if you want to come over to the house, I'll cook some green beans and put some extra stuff with it, but, yeah, I'll, I'll feed you today. If it's too many of you, some of you will have some chicken fingers without buttermilk. Um, it's not going to happen. That way. How many of you put your chicken in buttermilk before you fry it? Anybody? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Because that's the way you do it. That's the way you do it. All right. Well, um, today we're going to talk about authority and the call of the church is what we're going to talk about. And to start, um, Aaron Sink used to have a dog named Greta. It was a female dog. And um, I was very... I was very amazed by this particular dog. Um, he definitely was the authority in her life. Like whatever he told her to do, she would do and would not move until he told her to do something else. I mean, it was that well-trained, this Greta dog. Now, I don't know what type of dog Greta was, but this is what I know. When I told Greta to do something, she wouldn't, she wouldn't listen to me at all, period. Like if she was sitting in his van and if Aaron had told that dog to sit in the van and I was saying, come here to get a treat, 
she would not come here and get a treat. She would stay right where Aaron had told her because Aaron was the authority in her life. Now, let me tell you, um, dogs are really not my thing at all, period. Like, I, they're not really my thing. But I, I really thought, wow, Greta, Greta's really well-trained. I could, I could live around a dog like that, you know, one that doesn't come up and lick your toes, jump on your legs, sit around you. See, I don't love dogs, but dogs love me. So they, they will hang around me the whole day. If I come to your house, I, I tell you, that dog will be all around me and sitting. Um, my favorite dog that has ever lived uh, was Brutus, a, a dog named Brutus. He was much older. I don't even know what type of dog he was. He was brown. But nonetheless, he was just kind of, he, he was what? He, yeah, of course he was bred. They're all bred. Oh, red. Oh, sorry. I was like, how do you think they get here, Tadya? Um, so anyway, the dog was really nice, really chill, really chill dog, big dog. I love that dog. But other dogs, I'm just kind of, it's not that they're, they're bad because I'm not saying that. I just kind of just get up tight when a dog's around me. But Hilma didn't and Greta didn't because I knew Aaron was around. Now, if Aaron wasn't around, I was a little worried about Greta. Uh, Greta, I don't know if Greta was a dog that you should mess with at all, period, but nonetheless, authority. Well, if you take that one step further and you start talking about parents, parents are the authority in the home given by God. And so I have two children, and they can be anywhere in a room, like across the room somewhere, and I can be over here in a, an array of people in between me and them, okay? And if I need their attention for some reason, I can snap my fingers and they will look at me because they know that rhythm, they know that snap, they know what to listen for. If you snapped your fingers, they wouldn't, they wouldn't look. But if I snap mine, they'll look. If their mother calls, Quinn, Aurora, they will, they will look at her because that's an authority. If someone else does that, that they're not like trained to listen for, I don't mean they're a dog, but I'm saying they're trained to listen for, um, they may or may not hear you, right? But they'll hear their mom's call and they'll hear my little snap because there's an authority in the home and, and they know that that's somebody they need to look at. So um, I don't know if you do this with your kids, but I can communicate with my eyes what they need to do, right? My facial expression, what they need to do. And they know if, if I'm saying, don't, quit doing that or, or keep doing that or come here, they know what that is and they come because they have learned the cues. And that's what authority figures in your life do, that you, you trust, that you learn their cues. So I'll say a couple of things about authority. First of all, authority can be positional, but it works the best when you have influence. If you do not have influence with your authority, you just have positional authority and they don't like you, they're just obeying you because of your position. But if you have influence, they're more apt to listen to you and they're more apt to, to look at you. They're more apt to say, hey, this is something that I need to do. This is somebody I trust. This is somebody I respect. And so they start doing those sorts of things. So the authority in that, that particular way. Well, when it comes to the church and it comes to um, our calling, there is really only one authority that matters. Only one authority that matters, and that is Jesus. He's the only authority that matters in the church. Um, if, if it is a contest between me 
in Jesus, there's no contest. It's Jesus that wins. If it's a contest between the deacons and Jesus, um, there's no contest. It's Jesus that wins. If there's a contest, a contest between the church people and Jesus, there is no contest. Jesus is the one that we all should submit to and be under his authority and follow him with all of our heart. It is Jesus. So with that in mind, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, and we'll begin reading with verse 16. Matthew chapter 28. And it says this, verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus Christ has all authority. It's been given to him from God the Father. Now, I know that they're three in one. I know that there's a trinity. But he will tell you that God the Father gave him all authority in heaven and earth. And he's the one that we are supposed to listen to. He's the one that we're supposed to respond to. So when he calls us and he says something like, go into all the world and make disciples, every believer, every believer should immediately turn around and say, hey, that is our mission. That is what I'm supposed to do. That is my calling. My calling is to be a witness for Jesus. It's to win the loss and make disciples. That's my calling. And all of us in here have that calling at one level or another. Like we all have that calling that Jesus Christ has given us. It is a very special calling that he has given us with his authority. It, it is nothing that is small at all, though it's very simple. It's not a very small calling. It is a huge calling. It taps in to what God is trying to do in the world to save it. It's pretty big. It's redemption. It's, it's, it's fixing the problem that started with Adam and Eve that you and I inherited. It, it's fixing all the mess. It's a big calling. It is the salvation of souls. It's the discipleship. It is following Jesus, and he has the authority to call us. Now, in the church, Jesus has set up a structure, and it's very simple, easy to understand. He has got elders, deacons, and church members. So elders are people that Jesus Christ calls, that he calls under the direction of his Holy Spirit to be in that position, to teach and to equip the saints. It's what they're supposed to do. Those are elders. Jesus calls them. Deacons have a calling as well. Deacons are called to do ministry and to serve. So, so deacons in Scripture are to minister to widows and orphans and benevolence. That's what they're supposed to do. And they're also supposed to be involved in ministry in the church. They're supposed to be servants and helping out. I will tell you today that you'll find nowhere in Scripture where a deacon has to teach. It's not in there. 
You can find it for elders, but you can't find it for deacons. There's nowhere in Scripture that says that they have to be apt to teach. Elders have to be apt to teach, not deacons. Deacons are here to serve, and they serve and model service for the rest of the congregation. Then you have the congregation, the members of the church, the body of Christ. I'm not saying that elders and deacons aren't a part of that body. They are a part of that body. But you have, have members. Members are called as well. And the interesting thing here is that they are called to do ministry and serve Jesus within the church context. So, so they disciple children. They disciple each other. They're involved in the outreaches of the church. They're involved in the things that the church is doing. They, they volunteer their time to do those services. And I think it's, and I've always thought this, I know we have to use the word volunteer because you're actually volunteering, but I think it's a duty for you to be involved in ministry. Jesus has called you to be involved in ministry. He's called you to do that. You just have to figure out what he wants you to do. I'm going to tell you too that you, people, believers, are believer priests. That means that Jesus doesn't only talk to elders, he doesn't only talk to deacons, he actually talks to members as well, just as equally. So he's going to tell you what you should do, he's going to tell the elders what they should do, he's going to tell the deacons what they should do, and we all, all of us, do it under the authority of Jesus Christ. You see, sometimes, sometimes people in either one of these positions start doing things that they want to do rather than submitting to the authority of Jesus Christ. And so they start doing their will, their way, what they want. But that's not the way the church works. The church works when everybody is um, submitting to the authority of Jesus Christ and following him with their entire heart. Whether you're an elder, a deacon, a church member, we submit to the authority of Jesus Christ. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So now, with that, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> Check this out. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. This is Paul saying that the church has a calling. Each one of us have a calling, and we need to walk in a manner that's worthy of that calling. What is the calling? To make disciples. What is the calling? To reach the lost. What is the calling? To serve God in what he wants us to do under the authority of Jesus. We are supposed to walk in a manner that is worthy of that calling. Verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. So to walk worthy of the calling in which he's given me and he's given you, we have to be humble. Humble. Now, I think it's very hard for you and I to be humble. 
right? I think it's very, very hard for us to not. I do a good job at being humble. Yeah, just joking. But that humility, man, I think it's hard for us to do it. Several reasons. One, there's pride already in our heart. There, there is, um, we want to be better than, than others. I think that's, that's a flaw of sin that's inside of us. We want to be better than people. It's, it's very easy for us to look down on other people. It's very easy for us to condemn other people. It's very easy for our hearts to do that. It's very hard for us to be humble. But God has called us to be humble. I think the secret to humility is realizing that you're under the authority of Jesus Christ. I think that's, that's the secret. And you live that authority in your life. That, you, that you're not someone that's just out making judgments on your own. That it's Jesus Christ that you are under. And you've submitted to him. I think that's part of the secret to being humble. It says gentleness with patience. How many times is it very difficult for us to be gentle, especially when it comes to people that are sinning around us? Because let's face it, we're harder on other people that are sinning than we are ourselves in our own sin. Come on, we are. In fact, I would have to say that we recognize other people's sin quicker than we recognize our own, right? And so we, it's hard to be gentle and, and, and patient. Like at a, at, a, at a traffic circle, it's very hard to be gentle and, and patient at a traffic circle that says yield, right? And you just, like, you, you wonder where these people learn to read. Like, where did they learn to drive? It's just a circle. It's like, you, you don't have to stop, right? But that's just me kind of being, being funny and being mean. I think we do that more seriously when someone sins. Like, why are you doing that? And we, we think in terms of you idiot, you moron, you, you worthless whatever, right? And that's not exactly gentle. That's not exactly patient. I think, I think we need to be patient with one another. If you looked at me long enough, you would figure out some sins that I struggle with. If I look at you long enough, I'm going to figure out some sins that you struggle with. Because we all struggle with sin. But we are supposed to be patient with each other. Walking worthy of the calling means I'm patient with you, you're patient with me. Because God, who we are submitting to, Jesus, who we're under his authority, he is being patient with us. So we are patient with others. We're gentle, we're patient. Um, Bearing with one another in love. Is there anybody that you just have to put up with anybody you just have to put up with right maybe at work hopefully it's not somebody you're married to hopefully it's not somebody who lives in your house you know that you're just putting up with you know hopefully it's not that but there's just people that you have to put up with well you're either going to put up with them out of frustration or you're going to put up with them out of love you bear with them out of love or you bear with them out of fr- frustration it's, it's one of the two. He's saying here to walk worthy of your call, you bear with people, you put up with people around you that are difficult people with love, the love of God, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, eager to be in unity. So he continues about this worthy calling. He said, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. 
One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So there's one thing that we unite around. One body, one soul, one Lord, one Father of all. Lord is an authority uh, authority. Uh, designation and father is an authority designation we are united under the authority of the god that created us so we unite up underneath that and if you're going to walk worthy of your calling you submit to that authority and you know that you just follow one person one person that's what we know so verse 11 says And he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So he gives these positions, these these prophets, these teachers, these elders, these deacons to the church to equip people for the work of ministry so that we can do it well. That's what he does. And we're supposed to walk worthy of our calling. The calling is to reach people with the gospel of Christ. So a couple of things. One, look at chapter 5, verse 11. It says this. Always turn to the other page. Verse 11. It says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Part of our mission, ladies and gentlemen, as believers, is to expose the darkness. That is, our, that is our mission. We expose the darkness. You cannot expose the darkness if you are playing around with darkness. You cannot expose the darkness if you're doing the things that darkness does. You can't expose it. See, if you're messing around with it, you can't be a light. You cannot be a light. You just can't. Can't be a light. Um, I think we mess with darkness way too much. I think we want to look like that we're shining as lights. I think that we present sometimes, uh, Christians sometimes present a good front that they're shining as lights. But really, in reality, they're messing with too much darkness and they're really not shining much at all. They look like it, but they're really not shining much at all. Um, I like James Bond. I like the movies. I have two of the soundtracks. I, I really, honestly, like the more recent ones. Like, I've, is it Daniel Craig that plays him? I think it's Daniel Craig that plays him. Yeah, I, I like his character. I like the way he acts. I like those movies. However, there is darkness in those movies. There are certain portions of those movies that I stop here and jump to the next scene so I don't have to see that. So there's certain parts of those movies where James Bond does stuff that I'm just not going to describe, partly because I've skipped it, so I couldn't really describe it accurately anyway. But nonetheless, I I skipped those particular sections because my eyes should not be looking at stuff like that. See, when we allow ourselves to look at things and and not allow ourselves to be pure, and we look at things that are impure, we are messing with darkness. So I skip over those things. 
Now, I know, I know, people, it's, people don't understand this. There's, there's people that don't understand this. They don't understand why you can't just watch the movie all the way through. After all, nothing was seen, right? There, there's nothing that was seen. Yeah, but it was the, the act that I, I don't need to see. If I see the act, I have disobeyed a commandment of Scripture to guard my, guard my heart. You see, I stood in a church, in a church before a pastor, under the authority of Jesus Christ, and I made a commitment to my wife that my eyes would only be for her. And any time that I look at anything like that is a moment that I'm playing with darkness and I cannot shine as a light anymore. I can't shine as it. So I cut myself off from the darkness and I make sure I skip things and leave them there so that I can fulfill my commitment to my wife that I made 24 years ago. My eyes are for her and no one else. Are you tracking? So you don't play with darkness. You leave the impurity and you live a life of purity to where this is the only thing that you look at. This is the only thing that you see. I know, I know it's a very uncomfortable topic, but let me tell you, the darkness creeps in so much that it makes us think that it's okay. That, that it's like, well, what's the big deal with that? It is a big deal. It's a big deal to Jesus. It's a big deal to, to the, the health of your marriage. It's, it's a big deal. It's just a big deal. You have to guard your heart and guard your mind. There's other stuff people play with in darkness. Some people play with drunkenness. And, and it, somehow they've convinced themselves that that is just fine. They, so getting drunk is just, just fine. But I'm here to tell you, the Bible tells you not to get drunk. It tells you not to get drunk. And there's reasons for it. There's good reasons for that. So, so you don't get drunk and you live a life of purity. Some people mess with, with, with drugs and it sends their minds to other places and they take a break from those places because they're, they're doing these drugs. Obviously, I'm talking about it and I've never really done any. You may have wondered, but I haven't. Closest thing I had was uh, when I had my wisdom teeth taken out, and buddy, that was a ride. <laughs> Whew, that was a ride. They gave me a little too much of whatever that was that they gave to me for the wisdom teeth. But they, they do this to escape some type of reality because it makes it feel good. But you don't mess with that stuff. You leave it behind, and you live in the reality of Jesus Christ and what he's done for you on the cross and the power that he gives you. This is where you live. You don't mess with darkness because when you mess with darkness, you cannot shine in the darkness. You can't. You just can't. But when you live a life like Jesus wants you to live and you're submitting to him and you're following him with all your heart, all your strength and all your might and you're following him to the best of your ability, you can actually be a light in the darkness and expose the darkness for what it was. You know, it's, it's, an, it's an awesome thing to have that responsibility to expose the darkness, and you and I don't have to make up the rules. 
Isn't that great? That we don't have to figure out the rules? That God somehow, well, of course, somehow, he has given us the rules here and these are, this is what we, we say is sin. This is what we say isn't sin. This is what we say is holiness. This is what we say isn't holiness. It's not on me to figure that out. It's just up to me to live by it. So if God tells me to be pure, if God tells me not to lie, if God tells me not to do this, I don't do it. I live here to the best of my ability. I live worthy of my calling. And we expose the darkness for what it is and we shine as lights. Let me tell you something. If you start exposing the darkness, watch out. Because that darkness is going to come back on you. That darkness is fierce in its attacks. And you have to be ready for that. So flip over to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 10. This is what it says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the, the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness of readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the spirit with all the prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints and also for me that the words may give, be given to me in opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in change that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. See, when you start exposing the darkness, you have got to have some type of armor. And so he tells us that if we're supposed to walk worthy of our calling, that we have to put on the armor of God in order to accomplish that mission. Because you are going to be attacked when you shine as a light and when you expose darkness. So you put on the armor of God. You have the shield of faith, you have the sword, and you have these shoes. I know you have the breastplate of righteousness, but you have these shoes. And these shoes had spikes in the bottom of them. They're actually sandals, but they had spikes in the bottom of them. And so the spikes would go into the dirt and you could actually progress forward, right? And they couldn't move you, really, because your sandals were stuck in the dirt. So you gain a step and you stay there and you stick with your shield and you've got your sword and you stick, when we are playing with darkness, we've taken our sandals off. When we are playing with darkness, we've taken off the armor of God. 
When we are playing with darkness, we are being pushed back because we have no defense. We have no offense at all. God doesn't want you to live like that. He's given you a mission. He wants you to reach the lost for him. He wants you to disciple people. He wants you to shine his lights. He wants you to expose the darkness. And he's given you spiritual armor to do that. He's given you the giftedness to do that. And so you live correctly and you progress forward. And you witness to someone else and you progress forward. You invest in someone else that's a Christian and they, they are discipled through that process and you progress forward. And we progress forward and we progress forward and we progress forward and we gain ground. And everything behind us is light and everything in front of us is darkness. That is what we are called to do. But you can't do it if your armor's off. You can't do it if you're not walking worthy of that calling. You can't do it if you're messing around with darkness. It's time to leave the darkness behind. It's time to shine his lights. It's time to put on the whole armor of God. And it's time to start really doing something that counts in this world. Something that God wants you to do. A calling that God wants you to achieve. Put on the whole armor of God. You see, that, that mission keeps you unified with Jesus. That mission keeps you submitting to Jesus. That, that mission, though it's tough, allows you to do things that count for eternity rather than just a moment that is fleeting away. You see, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> there's a lot wrong in this world. And we're not going to be able to fix it. In fact, God is on a timetable to send his son back to return. And whether or not that timetable has been sped up or not, technically, theologically, it's not really sped up because God already has it planned and he knows anyway. Never mind. It seems like it's speeding up to us. What we know is that the world is just going to get worse and worse and worse. And what will count in the end is every soul that is saved and every person that we invest in that we have discipled. That's what will count. And it's a tough job. It's a tough job. You see, you and I, our mission is to go and reach people that have no respect for authority. We haven't seen any of that in the news. Our mission is to go reach people that have no respect for authority. We are supposed to reach people that are angry but don't know what the issue is. And there's tons of them that are angry and they don't even know what the issue is. They have all this pent-up anger and they're not really sure why, but they attach themselves to this issue, and that's not really what they're angry about. They're angry about something else. We are called to reach those people. We are called to reach people that have no goals, no dreams, no direction in life. We are called to go after those people and share with them the gospel and disciple them because those people are fearfully and wonderfully made, and God has a purpose for them. And it's not what they're doing. It's something more. 
we are called, <laughs> we are called to people that have lost their minds, have absolutely lost their minds. We are called to reach people that have a misplaced faith in something of this world rather than Jesus Christ. We're called to reach those people to the best of our ability. We're called to see them come to know Jesus as their Savior and then disciple them and show them how God wants them to live, that there is a purpose that is bigger than them, that there is something greater to live for, that there is hope in the world, and it's just one hope, and his name is Jesus Christ. We are called as a church to do that. We're called to reach our neighbors that will listen to us and our neighbors that will not uh, listen to us. I think sometimes we we think, well, they're not going to listen to us, so I'm not going to say anything. Well, you need to say something. Or at best, live like you're a Christian to your neighbors. So we are called to reach the people that will listen, that will not listen. We are called to go make disciples of every creature, of every tribe, of every tongue. We are called to go do that. Did you know that in heaven, there are going to be people there that you don't like right now? Yeah, they're going to be there. They're going to be there. People that you don't like right now, they're going to be there. Here's the cool thing about that. When you get to heaven, it's not going to matter to you anymore. It's just not going to matter to you anymore. You'll have a different heart. You'll have the love of God for the first time in your entire life that rules your heart. And it won't matter anymore. You won't be up in heaven doing this. Pray, go, you go, praise Jesus. All of a sudden, the person walks in. Oh my goodness, I got to go over to another part of heaven. I can't worship around that person. It, it won't be that. The love will be real. There will be nobody in heaven saying, Oh my goodness, I don't like these people. Come on. I'm going to start another heaven over here. It's not going to be that. We're all going to be there and we're all going to love people that we couldn't love before. And this only means that really you have the power to love them right now. That's what that means. You're going to be able to do it in heaven. You can do it here. So the next two weeks, I'm just going to give you a, a spoiler. It's going to be on marriage the next two weeks. And so to end this one, this kind of introduction to that whole deal, I want to, I want to talk to you a little bit about marriage and being under Jesus' authority. Um, there have been times in my 24 years of marriage that I have wanted to kill Nicole. Not literally, but I've been that upset. And there have been times in our marriage where Nicole just wanted to kill me, I'm sure. I mean, I know, I know this is true. Where we are so upset at each other that we just can't be around each other. And don't tell me that your marriage hasn't had moments like that. Because it's, it's had to have moments like that where you just get so irritated at that opposite person that you married that you just get so upset that you just wonder, why did I, why, why did I do this? They might have married the wrong person. I might have married the wrong person. I don't know. It's just that moment where you're like, what in the world is happening? 
What in the world is happening? I want to give you three things that have been stable through my entire marriage. Three things, okay? I wrote them down so I wouldn't forget them. Uh, that was a joke. That was, that was actually a good joke. Okay, here's the first one. Like I said before, I stood before God, Jesus, and I made a commitment to Nicole 24 years ago. And part of that commitment was that I would stay with her for better or for worse. Now listen, I know that there's some stories in this room, and so I don't want you to, to think, well, is he saying, don't, don't think that. I'm just talking about me, okay? Because I know there's different situations than what I have, okay? So I'm back here. So that commitment was for better, for worse, and the moments that I feel like I could really wring her neck is the moment that I have to say, well, I did say for better, for worse. Right now, I'm not really feeling the love. Right now, I'm pretty hurt. Right now, I'm pretty frustrated and angry. And right now, she is not really the number one person on my list. There's a bad list she might be the devil word person. Oh, but she's not all the devil word person of people I like in the world at this particular moment. But this is the commitment I made before Jesus. I said, for better, for worse. And it's so easy to say, stay with somebody when everything's good and everything's better. But it's really tough to stay with somebody when something is wrong. And you stick it out. What I have found in, in my marriage is that um, the tough trial is temporary, but tough people are eternal. That's what I found out. So it's the commitment. But it's not just the commitment that has kept us going. Nicole and I, um, we have a mission. We have disagreed with a lot of stuff. And if you know me, if you know my wife, you know that my wife and I, we don't always see eye to eye on everything. And I would, I would say that if you don't see eye to eye with your spouse either. I, I, would, I would take that to the bank, but I don't. And, and Nicole is headstrong and I'm not. <laughs> and so two headstrong people get together and you're like that. We, though, have never disagreed on the mission. And that mission is to reach people with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and to disciple them in the best way possible. We have never never disagreed on the mission. We've disagreed on how to do the mission, but we've never disagreed on the mission. That is a significant reason that we are still together. It is a commitment, but it's also that mission that our hearts are attached to. Is this making sense? And so even through the pain, even, even through times that you really don't like each other, it's still that mission that brings us together, and we do that mission together, and we do that mission here at the church. We have done it together for 26 years now because we were doing the mission when we were dating, and we did the mission after we were married. We have never stopped doing the mission that God has called us to. We never have. And here's the third one. We try our best to love each other the best way that is humanly possible. I will tell you today that I have not achieved God's love 
for my wife. I have not achieved that. And she has not achieved that for me because I'm human. I and her go through this love and we strive to have a love for each other that is you know, the agape love, that is the unconditional love, right? We, we strive to do that, but we have not achieved that because from time to time, honestly, I, we, we sometimes are wondering if we love each other, though we, we get to the point where it's a, it's a decision. Is everybody wondering if my, my marriage is going to fall apart? It's not. It's not going to fall apart. I'm just being real to you. The best you and I can do for each other is to love each other with a human love and strive to love each other with the love that God God has for us. You see, God's agape love is perfect. It never changes. It never sways. God's love for me is always patient. It's always gentle. It's always kind. It's always gracious. It's always merciful. It's always, and I can't say that I'm always gracious and merciful and kind to my wife. And it's at those moments that I realize that I'm just trying to achieve God's love for my wife, but I'm using this little insignificant human love to get there. Are you tracking with me? And I'm trying to do my best. And when I realize I'm not kind to her, when I realize I've said the wrong things, I've treated her the wrong, wrong way, yes, I step back and yes, I apologize. And yes, we work it out. And yes, we're stronger in the end, but what I'm telling you is the human love we are using, we are trying to get to that God's love that we should have for each other, and we're, it's a work in progress. The last time I checked, I am sanctified, by, but I am being formed into the image of Jesus Christ, and I'm not there yet. But there's coming a day when we get to heaven, and I know that God doesn't give people in marriage, and we're really not going to be married in heaven, but there's coming a day in heaven where I'm going to love her with the perfect love that God has loved her with and has loved me with. But until I get there, I'm going to still try to use this little thing called the human love that I have for her, and I'm going to try to work on that, to build on that, to get closer and closer to the love that God really wants us to have between each other. Is everybody tracking? So there's three things have kept us together. It's a commitment, submission under the authority of Jesus. And even under that authority is that he requires me to love him. Wait, he requires me to love her as Christ loved the church. And that's a tall order. And I'm still reaching for it. And so is everybody else that's married. So when you don't have anything else, you should have those three things. If you and your spouse does not...